Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Permack. On today's show, why 16,000 shoe store workers are losing their jobs and the new role of technology in the 2020 campaign. But first, an American investor in Moscow. As we noted at the end of yesterday's show, Russian authorities recently arrested Mike Calvi, a U.S. citizen and University of Oklahoma grad who, for the past 25 years, has run a Moscow-based venture capital and private equity firm called Bering Vostok Capital Partners. And he's also run it pretty successfully. So, for example, Bering Vostok once invested in a Russian internet startup called Yandex, at the time valued at just $15 million dollars. Today, it's publicly traded on the NASDAQ at a market cap of $10.3 billion. Anyway, the accusations here relate to a bearing Vostok investment in a Russian consumer bank, which eventually fell on hard times. And for simplicity, let's call it Bank One. Bearing Vostok then merged Bank One with another local bank, Bank Two. After the merger, Calvi determined that the main investor in Bank Two had improperly stripped assets, and he filed a legal challenge in London that's now in the midst of arbitration. But in apparent retaliation, that investor in Bank Two, via an associate, accused Calvi of artificially inflating the value of Bank One. And because this is Russia, what here would be kind of a civil shareholder dispute became criminal, with Calvi and several other Bering Vostok colleagues arrested and today still sitting in a Moscow jail. Now, Bering Vostok remains operating in Russia through this kind of interim leadership structure and is publicly expressing confidence that the Russian courts will not only determine it's a commercial matter, but also will investigate how it turned criminal. Privately, though, sources say the firm and Calvi are justifiably terrified and concerned that justice isn't necessarily what this case will hinge on. The bottom line, for now, this makes it virtually impossible for Western investors to do business in Russia. And it also has parallels to the well-known case of Bill Browder, as detailed in his best-selling book, Red Notice. So Browder was once a big-time investor in Russia who was later expelled on dubious tax charges and whose lawyer was murdered in a Russian jail. And Browder has actually spent the past several years campaigning successfully, usually, for a form of sanctions that actually led to that so-called adoption issue discussed in Trump Tower. Yeah, this stuff is pretty central to global politics. And in 15 seconds, we'll talk to Bill Browder about Mike Calvi's arrest. But first, this. Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech, from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by Bill Browder, CEO of Hermitage Capital and the author of Red Notice. So, Bill, when you first heard of Mike Calvi's arrest, what was your initial reaction? Both shocked and surprised. Shocked that they would arrest another major foreign investor and surprised because Mike Calvi, of all the people I know, was a guy who I thought had sort of figured out how to play the rules of Putin's Russia. He had somehow figured out how to blend in, fit in, and play exactly by their rules. And so for them to turn on him, of all the people I know, it just seems really outrageous and out of the ordinary. So when you say they turn on him, the Kremlin has said, I think, something like we are monitoring the situation or something like that. From your perspective, is there any reason to believe that this is something that at least to date has been outside of their control and direction? In my opinion, absolutely not. That to arrest the largest foreign investor in Russia that would create the kind of headlines that it does would have been absolutely for sure checked with 
Vladimir Putin. Going back to your situation years ago, one of the things that happened was your offices, for example, got raided and there was obviously injuries and, and things got taken out. As of this moment, bearing Vostok, where Mike Calvi worked, those offices haven't been raided. They continue to do business. Is that surprising to you or does that make sense that the government would continue to let the firm kind of operate, albeit without its leader and, and three of his associates? In my case, you actually have to go back further, but well before my offices were raided. So the, the big moment of truth in my case was when I was abroad arrested, detained for 15 hours, and then expelled from Russia and declared a threat to national security. That was the moment that the real problems began. And then my offices weren't raided for another 18 months after that. And so basically, the comparable situation for Mike Calvi was being arrested and put in pretrial detention to my being deported. This is the catalyst or the moment that it all starts. And what happens next could easily be a raid of his office or more criminal charges or any of a number of things. And in my experience, generally, when the Russian government turns on you, they create a whole mountain of problems, not just one problem. Baron Vostok has put some other partners kind of in charge on an interim basis, and, and they've publicly put up a pretty brave front, right? Business as usual, we're continuing to invest. We obviously disagree with these charges. If you were them, the folks who are actually running, what would you be doing right now? They're really in a, in a horrifying situation because there's two problems. One is they now have six hostages. Mike, there's a Frenchman and four Russians that are working for them, and they can't sell their assets. All of their assets are private equity investments that are unsellable. And so they're totally exposed. Their people are exposed and their assets are exposed. And so they're kind of at the mercy of the government and there's not much they can do. From a self-interest standpoint, how do you explain what Putin and the Kremlin would be doing here vis-a-vis Calvi and Bering Vostok, if only because if I am a non-Russian or particularly Western investor who had some interest, maybe even looked at Bering Vostok's success and said, huh, maybe I could do that. This has to scare them clear away. True, except just look at the numbers. The amount of foreign direct investment between 2017 and 2018 has declined by 90%. It's like less than $2 billion a year. And so there is no foreign investment in Russia. And so the way that these things normally work, this looks and feels like what they call a standard Russian raider attack. And what that means is that some group of criminals who are highly connected with the Russian government and the Russian security services have decided that Barings Vostok has a bunch of valuable assets that they want to have, and they want to have them effectively for free. And so they use the courts and law enforcement in order to get those assets. And so if you look at the risk-reward, they have several billion dollars worth of assets, and there's not even more than several billion dollars in the aggregate of foreign direct investment coming into Russia. So somebody has taken the view that they don't really care about foreign direct investment, but they do care about the assets that they could probably steal. That's kind of how I would picture what's going on in the minds of the people who have taken the view to do this. And I think that Putin is probably one of the people who was involved in that discussion. A little bit of a different topic. You yesterday were testifying in front of the European Parliament on an EU version of the Magnitsky Act. What was your reception there? So the Magnitsky Act is, is a piece of legislation named after my lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, who was murdered nine and a half years ago in a Russian prison after uncovering a massive government corruption scheme. And we now have Magnitsky Acts in the United States, Canada, the UK, and the three countries of the Baltics. And the last main holdout has been the EU. And we're now just starting to get some traction in the EU. The Dutch government has put forth a EU-wide Magnitsky Act proposal. There's some disagreement among member states about what it should look like. But it looks like we're finally getting there after nine years of advocacy. And if we do get there, this is something that Vladimir Putin really hates because what he does is he steals money, takes hostage and kills people in Russia and then keeps that money abroad in the name of 
Russian oligarch-trusted friends, and the Magnitsky Act puts that money at risk. And so, effectively, if Putin is ready to kill for money, and we've come up with a mechanism to take that money away, that's one of the harshest sanctions that we can come up with against Vladimir Putin. Bill Browder, thank you so much for taking the time. My final two, right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Payless, the discount shoe store chain that yesterday filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy for the second time in two years. That means the pending closure and liquidation of around 2,500 locations in North America and the loss of 16,000 jobs. So what happened? In short, something called dividend recaps. It's when private equity firms buy a company and then sometime later basically make the company take out new loans or more debt so that the firms can pay cash to themselves. It's kind of like refinancing your house, but somehow sticking your house with a new bill. Anyway, that's what led to the original bankruptcy filing in mid-2017, and Payless never really recovered after that under new private equity ownership. The bottom line here, dividend recaps often do work out fine and no one gets hurt. But when a private equity-backed business does go bust, and that happens a lot, particularly in retail, it's the dividend recaps that are usually to blame. And finally, Axios' David McCabe has a great piece up this morning on how the era of so-called geek candidates for president is over. As he writes, quote, For the first time, the ability to understand the impact of technology and explain it to the American voter isn't something that sets a Democratic presidential aspirant apart. It's expected. For example, Amy Klobuchar in her announcement made digital privacy and net neutrality central, and Kamala Harris has made online harassment a signature issue. And several of the other hopefuls have discussed antitrust law, particularly when it comes to Amazon. In short, tech is now mainstream politics. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Grassi and Tim Shovers, have a great national Love Your Pet Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata podcast.